show is brought to you by noble knight where out of print is available again and listeners like you thanks for using the tomes amazon and dd classics affiliate links hello this is eric mingi assistant lackey brian james and you're listening to the tome welcome to the tome a dnd news reviews and interview show and i'm your tome host jeff greiner and I'm your co-host, Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 229, we're going to chat with Mike Shea about what to play when you're expecting a new edition of D&D. Oh, what you're expecting. Man, you scared the hell out of me. <laughs> I say, nobody's expecting you, are they? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Mike. Yo. We're going to talk about games that we're going to play while we're waiting for next to next or, or 5e or... Going uh, to play. D&D Super Advanced Edition or whatever's coming out. But before we do that, let's mention our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. Noble Knight is a fantastic gaming store that is great at being able to find you the products that are out of print. Getting you the things that you will never find. So if on your list of things to play... While you're waiting for the next edition of D&D to come out includes, like, say, first edition D&D, you can find that. And the modules and the adventures that made it famous and all that other stuff. So, you should totally check out noblenight.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. My pick for this episode is one of the games that I was going to, or that I am going to talk about uh, briefly. And that is Fiasco. Hmm. Fiasco on Noble Knight is $21.95. And that's actually, I lied to you earlier, uh, Mike, that's actually $3 cheaper than you can get it even on some other massive retail stores. Mm. Um, massive online re- retail stores? Massive online retail that, that's stores. The hard, that's the hard copy, I'm assuming. That, that, that is the hard copy, yep. Uh, and that's that's for a new, brand new mint condition copy of Fiasco. Uh, Mike, you're the expert. Tell the tell the, the people out there a little bit about Fiasco if they don't know. Oh man, I'm not the expert. I, I've played it once. <laughs> really? That's how much I played it. Yeah. So we're both experts. I guess. Tracy, have you played it more than once? No. Okay. Have you played it? No. So okay. Fiasco is a story game. Um, it's got very sort of simple rules and mechanics to it. Uh, you build relationships with with the other characters, and and you roll dice to determine you know whether or not good things or bad things happen. And you can have a certain number of good things happen to your character or bad things happen to your character depending on how, what the kind of dice that you rolled and what came up. Uh, and other than that, you you take turns and you go around and you describe crazy things that happen. Uh, and the great thing about one of the great things about Fiasco is that you can basically expand the game. You can add expansions onto the game, which is through different playsets, which they offer available for free on their website. Right. 
Is that one, is that a, yeah. a summary of Fiasco? Sure. And one thing to mention, um, uh, this was uh, uh, Will Wheaton ran this on tabletop. So if you want to see an hour-long video of them playing Fiasco to really understand what it's like and how crazy things can get, they have a really good, enjoyable video that you can, you can Google. If you Google Fiasco, Will Wheaton Fiasco, it goes right to it. Yeah, I had a blast playing it two years ago at Gen Con uh, at a pickup game after hours. And we were playing the um, – there's a, a D&D sort of fantasy-based playset. Yeah, I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it was written by Logan. Sean. Sean Merwin did it, didn't he? No, no, no. It was written by Logan Bonner. Logan Bonner. I'm sorry. Yeah, and while we were sitting there playing, who saunters up with a drink in his hand <laughs> and watches us play his play set? That's what makes Gen Con awesome. Yeah. <laughs> in this back room, like, I'm not, how did he even know we were there? I don't know, but he came and he watched us play his play set. It was fun. That's awesome. Yeah, and I've used that play set, so I love the way. Yeah, I've, I, I like the way Fiasco builds relationships, and, and I've used it in many games to kind of help get characters tied to one another, uh, you know, in one-shot games without, like, hey, here's five guys in a bar. And right. uh, it, it works really well for that. And that whole game is based on that idea of, of how do you interconnect people and then how do you put them in really crazy situations. And, yeah. And you've written on, on that on the concept of using fiasco-style yeah. relationships uh, yeah. extensively, and we've talked about it. You and I have talked about it on Behind the DM Screen, so if people want more information about how that works, uh, that's all over the place. So that's Noble Knight. Make sure you tell them the Tome Show's entry. Hello! Hello, citizens! Oh, thank goodness! Adventurers! We need a Noble Knight! Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes! Great prices, out-of-print games, the latest releases, and a magic box that converts all of your old loot into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic. I'll do it. Yes. Well, you see, the beast he kidnapped the mayor and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it. Yes, the thing is, I was talking to her. What? Fear not, kind citizen. The noble knight will save the day, rescue the lord in distress, and liberate all that loot in a way only possible at Noble Knight. If you'd like to get your hands on Noble Knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Ha, I got to do something to help out. And we are back. Time to talk about games we're going to play. Uh, or games we want to play. saying we're going to play. Or games that we've been playing. <laughs> In the interim between editions. Now, see, for me, it's games I'm going to play because I played uh, my fourth edition campaign and then did a different fourth edition campaign and then from there went straight into doing a next campaign. Right. Um, And we've been doing that for a while. So I'm still looking looking at games that I want to play when I wrap up this campaign, but before next actually comes out and is published. Gotcha. Yeah, I've I've been playing different games on and off for the past year and a half or so. And I have this I have this tricky situation to deal with because I'm also an alpha playtester. Yep. So I continue to get new material. Yep. And it's like, well, that'll be that like I I want to continue to be and contribute to the playtesting process for future products or whatever might be happening. Um but then at the same time it's like but I kind of want to put next on hold now for a while until the final rules are done you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's published and go play some other things for a few months yeah so I'm, I'm torn because i want to participate and i want to contribute but i also want to play all this other stuff yeah yeah it's hard and yeah i mean my, my philosophy is always that you know the the joy and sanctity of my gaming group is paramount so yeah that's that's we, sort of we my, play, my attitude you know too. getting all my friends together at a table is really really hard to do and i'm not gonna 
you know i mean we, we actually play test quite a bit and we'll use the alpha play test stuff often but uh if if the group as a whole decides they want to try something else we're trying something else yeah and, and so yeah I, I fit in alpha play test stuff when it when it's easy to do so and when it's not we just don't do it and we and we move on right tracy you were about to say something i cut you off i forget awesome <laughs> so let's go each go one game at a time mike what is a game you have been or want to play in the interim while we wait for a new edition? So I'm 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 just going to rattle off the four games that have a lot of my attention. I said only, one. Oh, I fine. know. I'm go, cheating. Go ahead, Mike. Go. But I'm only going to talk about one right off the bat. So the, the four that have my attention are 13th Age Numenera, Dungeon World, and Fate. And the two of those that I've been playing the most are Fate and 13th Age. But I'm going to talk about 13th Age because I've run a full mini campaign in, in 13th Age and, and put a fair bit of time into it. Um if anybody doesn't know, 13th Age is uh, described as a love letter to D&D. It is written by um, Robert uh, Hainso and uh, uh, Jonathan Tweet, both former Wizards of the Coast, Dungeons & Dragons designers. And it the, the best way to describe... Mean, I don't know how you describe it in one sentence. It, it definitely has a 4th edition D&D feel, but with a much heavier emphasis on storytelling. Yeah. Uh, than other, in, in fact, than pretty much any version of D anD D because they don't, none of them have had any real mechanic for handling storytelling mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, my group particularly likes it because first level characters are very empowered, just like they are in four E. They're very robust; they can handle quite a bit at first level. You get a lot of options at first level, um, and as your character progression grows. Uh, your 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 power grows as well. Um, that said, it actually, in my opinion, solves many of the problems that I had with fourth edition. In that the the power growth doesn't get too great. You don't get to this point where you have a fifteen page character sheet with tons and tons of different powers. Uh, it's very well balanced in handling items and in handling um, new n- new abilities that characters get. Um, sorry, my dog's squeaking the <laughs> dog toy. Uh, and we just took it from him, and now he's sad. Uh, so it's it it it's it's a meaty game. It's a it's a mechanic heavy game, um, but not overburdensome. Like we 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 actually mixed it with Pathfinder. Like we we tried this for a while. We tried Pathfinder for a while, and uh, you know it's not even close to Pathfinder when it comes to to overall rules and and mechanics. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not a storytelling. You know, it's not kind of an, an open-ended storytelling game like like uh, like Fiasco, like we mentioned before, or right. like Fate. Um, I was going to say you could almost like if you did a mashup of Fiasco, Fate, and Fourth Edition. Yeah, you'd kind of end up well, with, and, with that and game. I, I bet you that's not far from what, what they did. <laughs> Rob and Jonathan were thinking when they sure. did this. Like, you know, that's kind of the great thing about these modern systems is that these are really smart people and they've spent a lot of time playing a lot of different game systems and they've kind of taken all the components that they like the best. So yeah, the icon system that's, that's, uh, uh, helps tie characters to the game world and also potentially to each other and also forces the DM to, to improvise as the game is going on. It has a very fiasco like feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I, I love it. I, I mean, my, you know, Michelle and I, uh, were talking about earlier today when we were talking about this show and, and both of us, I think feel that that Thirteenth Age is is it's certainly the game that my regular gaming group is going to resonate with the most, um, and it's just a fantastic game. And they've got two two new books coming out soon, a monster because there's only one book for it right now, mm-hmm. uh, and yet that book packs a whole lot of material into into mm-hmm. one volume. 
and they've got a new monster book coming out and they have a new kind of general expansion book that's going to give both players and GMs a lot of more material. So I, have, I really, really like it. Do they have like a quick start adventure or anything? Yeah, so it's got a quick start and, and boy, it's a, it's a mind bender. So one, one thing that's interesting about 13th Age, um, it assumes an experienced GM but not necessarily experienced players. And, I, and I, my experience is that, that that is pretty accurate. Uh, I have found it actually pretty difficult to run. Um, and that's with a good deal of DMing, of, of GMing experience under my belt. Like it, this, this one been, you know, really made me rethink how we're doing adventures. And one of the reasons why is because the way the icon system works is you, you at the beginning of a game, the players all roll to determine which icons are going to come into play for that session. So they're kind of creating components to the game at the table that the GM can't count on when the GM is preparing. Mm-hmm. And as right. a, as a, as a lazy GM, a lazy DM, I love that, right? Like I, I like that it forces me not to do too much prep. And some people just say, look, if that bothers you, then just have them roll at the end of the last session. And there's two problems with that. Problem number one is you don't know that the players are necessarily going to be there the next session. So if they rolled high and you built a whole adventure around them and then they don't show up, things are going to be really weird. Yeah. But then the other one is that kind of removes one of the most interesting bits, which is forcing the GM to improvise as the game is going on is actually a really powerful and important skill that's that's worth you know that's that's worth uh uh growing and we throw that away if we if we don't get rid of it so well, and that spontaneity and that comes from the improvisation means that nobody even including the dm quite knows what's going to happen and that's part of the fun right is discovering yeah, right, the story right, and you discover right. it together yeah and like right. dungeon world is also it has that same idea like dungeon world you, you play to see what happens you don't mm-hmm. you don't uh do a lot of pre pre you know prep preparation and everything like that which of course resonates with me but for a lot of people it's like wow what the hell do i do with all this time <laughs> uh, yeah, before the game. Um, so yeah, oh, it's, but to, Tracy, sorry, you know, I'm, I'm taking a very roundabout way to get to the answer. Yes, they have a an adventure in there that's called something 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 Bolt Strike Pillar, and it's a short adventure uh, uh, that's based on you know, a party of adventurers goes to this one location and they fight some 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 bad dudes. And what's really interesting is there's not really any major NPCs outlined. There's not a real clear villain there's a there's like statistics for a generic villain but that villain isn't defined because the icons aren't defined right so that adventure i've run that adventure i think three times now and in all i've run i've played it once and ran it three times and in all of those it's been a completely different adventure because of how the icon the icons roll Mm -hmm. which i think is just fascinating yeah it is worth noting to people who are interested in it it's it's not a cheap one book book to, no, to get into either it's like a 45 dollar yeah yeah it's also i mean i think you can get it for 20 bucks in pdf on our on uh drive through okay and yeah, uh, it's 40 43 on amazon but it's also sold out so yeah and, and i don't so i think if you if you buy it directly from them i think you get the pdf yeah you you can buy the package deal with both the pdf and the full and i think as a as a as a gm i think that's a great package because I use both all the time. I use the physical book at the table when I'm running it, but I use the PDF when I'm doing preparation or, or just you know thinking about it. Um, but yeah, it's just it's got a monster. You know, like you think about all the components in it. It's got like a full player's guide. It's got all the instructions for running the game. It's got a whole game world, a whole a whole uh, campaign, a campaign world in it. It's got the adventure for the campaign world and a monster beastery and a magic item set. Now, they're all a little bit abbreviated, but there's enough material in there. Like, I always think, like, if I was in jail, you know, or on a desert island, what 
you know, what RPG would I bring with me? And this one you could play for a long time with it. Yeah. Right. Cool. I don't want to go to jail, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. I won't call them the cops this time. All right. Tracy. What game are you want to? Are you going to play, or have you played? Well, so yeah. one game I've been meaning to play is called Candy Creeps, and I'll have to give the disclaimer that it was done uh, by two of my friends from college. See, now Tracy always comes up with with the most interesting and unusual suggestions. Go ahead. So Candy Creeps is like this high school where living the dead monsters and everyone are all together, and you get to pick like two aspects so it's about clicks and being in high school and everything else but you zombies and what i love about it is that you draw your character portrait as part of character creation and like what's drawn on there is an important part of knowing what your character has and stuff and you can draw it in crayon <laughs> <laughs> uh and i just been i've been meaning to play it uh, it, it has the most adorable, creepy artwork out there, and yeah. Is can you can you get it? Can you buy it? I think you still can buy it because so I bought they it. Had a, they had a Kickstarter, I see. Mm-hmm. But the Kickstarter is over. Yeah, the Kickstarter I'll, I'll was look... a year ago or two years ago. It was in May yeah. of two thousand twelve. Yeah, it's been well, and I, I I got a copy at Gen Con, I think, two okay. years ago. Uh, if not, I will make sure that they put a PDF out or something. Yeah. But that's a game I want to play because it just—it's it, kind of cute and fun, and I think I could use that. <laughs> yeah, it looks—it looks cool. It looks fun. Awesome. Uh, and and actually, sorry, just one last thing. One of the things I really like about it is that you can say multiple things are true about your character, but only two things affect your stats out of the things that you declare about your character. Huh. How does that work? Say it again. So, like, if you're in high school, and, like, I was a re- well-rounded student, quote-unquote, so I could say that I play sports and I'm good at science and uh, teachers like me or something like that, but only two of those things would end up actually affecting my stats at the end of the day. Like, okay. so you... So you can, so I, because that's one of the things I like compared to sometimes when I play D and D, where everything has to have a mechanical uh, counterpart, or it's not important to a lot of people. Where in this, it can still be important, and it's part of the game that it's still important, but it just doesn't give you any mechanical uh, benefit or penalty. Right on. Well, speaking of games that. Um are designed by friends. One of the games that I actually kickstarted and then got a copy of and then have had sitting on my shelf and haven't done anything with it I'd like to get to uh, doing a little bit of is School Days mm-hmm. from Sand and Steam by Tracy, the other Tracy, Tracy right. Barnett. Boy Tracy. Um, so School Days it was one of his – was it – one of his first, or was it his first? I think it was. His, it might have been his third. He's done a. He's done a few Kickstarters. He's done a bunch, but I think I thought this one was his, was his first one. Because Sand and Stream had a had a meaning before School Days. Like that was going to be a game too, I think. But I don't know if he actually finished. Yeah. It. So I, yeah, I know he was working on on a Sand and Steam thing, and, th- and that became the name of his production. But I think School Days was the first thing he, the first thing he actually published. Um, 
Which, yeah, so he's mean, got, he has four Kickstarters, but I don't know what order they came Regardless, out. that's not the important part. The po- important part is School Days is a storytelling, a story-based game uh, that also has some mechanical elements to it um, that is about playing high school characters, right? So if you want to do Breakfast Club, the role-playing game, or Buffy, the role-playing game, you know, it's got it's got a sort of weird, uh, like the setting that they give you, um, it, and it has a sort of a weird supernatural background going on with the school, and all, you know, Cthuloid sort of thing going, happening uh, as well. Um, you know, and there's there's fun little forms to fill out that become your character character sheet or part as part of your character creation. Um, you know, and there's all these these funky little um, you know things with the principal and um, and the and the teachers and and yeah, it's just it's just a weird little quirky like let's play a supernatural thriller high school game and it's illustrated by um, D twenty Monkey, whose name is escaping me. Brian Patterson. Thank you, Brian Patterson. Uh, and and the artwork like plays into the whole product really well. Like it it is the perfect style of illustration for what it is that he's trying to do with this game. I feel. Um, so yeah, that's that's a game I want to play if I can if I can get my um, my players on board. So since we're on the topic of high school games, uh, one that I've heard a lot of other people talking about is called Monster Hearts. And it's built on the Apocalypse World engine. And you get to play high schoolers uh, with their teenage angst, their uh, desire to explore sexuality, uh, personal horror, and secret love triangles. So uh, there's that game out there, too. Awesome. Those are things I probably don't want to explore. I know. <laughs> in my in, in my t- in my table uh, full of of middle aged guys, you know. <laughs> yeah. So some people like it's it's all about what what's interesting to you, right? And uh, a lot of people use the X card when they play it, just in case, right? Mike, what's the X card? The oh, I'm I man, I'm not ready to describe. <laughs> it. The X card is a uh, it's a physical card you put on a table. I can't remember the name of the guy who did it. Um, but it's a physical card that you put on the table that has a big X on it, and you set it out on the table. And uh, if at any time in the game you touch on on any kind of content or any kind of material that is uncomfortable for anybody at the table, they can hit the X card, and you move away from that topic without any further question, without uh, any, uh, without you know having to address, without addressing it at all. You just move to you just you just move along. Good. And you can use it with both groups that are brand new and, and not together, or even old time groups. I use it. I use it uh, with my group that I play with all the time. Great, Mike. Since you got the microphone, what's another uh, game you're thinking about playing or are playing? So the next game I've been spending a lot of time with in a lot of different ways is 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 Fate Core and Fate Accelerated. And I guess I will kind of combine. I'll combine the two of them together, even though they are relatively different takes. Well, let's talk about that because Fate is on my list twice. Yeah. So we should have a conversation about Fate. Let's. Of course, most of my experience with with Fate in its current incarnation comes from you, anyway. Yay! So, so why don't you tell people about about Fate? So Fate is a uh, and, and again, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna totally butcher the history. Fate actually has been around for a while. And from what I understand, um, it was actually made by a couple of guys on their way driving to Gen Con. Um, I, 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 but I'm, and I'm forgetting. I know Fred Hicks was one of the guys, and I can't remember if it was Rob Donahue or, or uh, uh, Leo 
Balsera or somebody else that was in the car. I can't remember. But um, anyway, so they invented this a while ago, and there's been different iterations. It's been used as part of the Dresden RPG, um, and they've refined it. They had a big Kickstarter last year um, for Fate Core, which was a refined version of the Fate rule system that was system that was world agnostic, so you could use it in any kind of game world. And... Um, you know, refined a lot of the concepts they had they had used previously. The whole thing was released Creative Commons, which means that anybody can write, uh, and, and under the OGL, which means that anybody can write material and use text from the uh, uh, original books for their material, which I think is a fantastic way to kind of, um, A, to use Kickstarter. You get funding up front in order to support products that can be created down the road by just about anybody. Um, and and also, I mean, like the full text of it is available online, so uh, you can either use it as a reference, or even if you're if you don't know what it's about, you can go and take a look at the product before you before you decide to commit. Um, so, Fake Core is a more uh, kind of a larger, more robust system that has fairly detailed rules for skill for skill systems for a for its skill system, and also for handling both mental and physical defenses, like mental and physical hit points. Fate Accelerated removes the skill system and replaces it with an, a, a system known as approaches, which are very similar to kind of the D&D core stats, only instead of a static stat of strength or dexterity, it's an approach like, you know, quickly or carefully or, uh, you know, I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. Uh, careful, clever, flashy, forceful, quick, and sneaky are your ways of doing things. And up front you say, okay, I get... One plus three, two plus twos, two plus ones, and a zero that I can distribute across all of those things. Uh, character creation is very quick for both systems. It focuses around this idea of aspects, which are kind of the core defining pieces of your character. You could think of them like, you know, race and class and background and theme, um, but they're not. Ref- they're not. They're not real refined like that. You can you can kind of make them what whatever you want. So if you're you know the you know the 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 sassy wizard you know the sassy wizard that's your aspect and you know, or you know I'm the Tin Man you know it could be your aspect or you can make your aspect pretty much anything you want. Um, they don't really talk about it, but GMs can kind of focus that a little bit more if you want your world to be more refined. But a lot of the fun of Fate is kind of expanding, letting the players expand the game world by determining the aspects that they choose. Mm-hmm. And then there's mechanical things tied to these aspects. You know, you can invoke an aspect. There's a, I think one of my criticisms of, of Fate is there's a lot of vocabulary. Like, it's got a, right. a whole, it's got its whole language, and you got to mm-hmm. figure out that language. It's not an easy game to run. And as a player, it's not too bad. Like, um, uh, yeah. My niece, my niece has played it. She's 13, and I think she's only played one D and D game before that, and then she played this, and um, you know, she still had a great time. And she, and she even said later, like, it, you know, it's one of these like we're just awesome that somebody's played two games. And she said, you know, I like D and D because things were pretty well defined, and I knew what my character was about before I even got started. But I liked Fate because I could build the exact character that I wanted without having to think about it, right. and or without having to worry about it. And I was like, you know. She's played it twice, and she's already figured it <laughs> both well, systems out pretty I mean, well. I've got the the cognitive ability of an eight year old, and and you taught me fate in about ten minutes. So yeah, it's it's. I think, and I mean, you 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 the 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 character sheets you gave us for that game had the character sheet on one side, and you flip it over, and it was a quick, quick reference guide for pretty much all the rules you ever need. Right, and and, and that's that's a nice thing that on one piece of paper. Right, and were those the character sheets for the scenario that? 
those Make are great. the character sheets for the scenario that is the thing that I want to run. Yeah, so so here's here's the trick, right? You're talking about Aeon Wave. I am. And and Aeon Wave, I actually built character sheets that that have classes kind of wired into them. Right. Um so I, I, I took a lot of things from Fate and said, Okay, well, here are these six classes, but you get to decide details of those six classes. Right. Um and that way it was it's meant because it's meant to be a one shot game. Um, but you can pretty I mean, you can still do that with any fate thing. Like like there's a really good cheat sheet for fate that's one page and you can make the fate character sheet and then on one side and the instructions on the other and have the whole game ready to go. Mm-hmm. And I, and I really like it for that. Well, yeah. And that's the other thing. Uh, like I fates on my list twice because one thing I want to do is I want to run Aeon wave. Mm-hmm. Um, this great, should. this great Kickstarter that I picked up somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, the, by the way, it's, it's, a, it's available for sale now. It is. And yeah. And you can get a, a print copy now too, huh? Yeah. Have you, seen, yeah. have you seen the print copy? How's it look? I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have made it available if I hadn't seen it. So yeah, I have but, a copy. But it looks good. Yeah, I like it. That's cool. I like it. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing I want to do is, is that you know, and we've talked extensively about this over the years. Uh, I had my one to thirty fourth edition campaign in, in the realms. Yeah. And at the end of it, most of the characters end up becoming gods. And one of the one of the things I'm I'm curious to try to do with fate once I have a little bit of experience with it, maybe running Aeon Wave first, is create a scenario where we can go back to the Forgotten Realms and play those characters as gods. Right. I right. think and I think fate is probably the best system yeah. I've found to be able to do that. Right. Yeah, the great thing is like you can decide do you want to be just like you know, level you know, quote unquote, level one characters, where it's like, well, I'm a, a you know, I'm a farmer who picked up a sword, and and I'm going to go after that orc who who's been terrorizing the village, and or you could say, you know, your aspect is I am the you know, I am the most powerful arcane archer in the in the multiverse, right? You know, and that could be your aspect, right? No, and and that's right. I mean, there's no. In terms of character creation, it's you don't have to create a 15-page document to, to have to play your god, right? It right. can be, uh, you know, I'm the god of magic. That's my aspect, you know, <laughs> and, and, and as opposed to the other guy, which is I'm a potato farmer, is his aspect, yeah. right? And the mechanics, the mechanics kind of work out either way. Right. So if you if you say like, well, I'm a wizard and I cast meteor swarm, you're like, hey, you can cast whatever you want. It's still plus two to your normal role, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter, you know. The mechanics are very. Are heavily abstracted. Well, from and, the, and it balances. It balances from my perspective as as a as a GM running it, right? Because yeah, it's you know you're a god and you're doing godly things, but so are your opponents, and that, yeah, so right. you all get the same right. number of dice to roll. You know exactly. Yeah, right, right. And and you, you can't actually kind of scale things up a little bit, but really all you're doing is moving the ladder. Yeah. You know, there, well, there has and, a nice static ladder. And and if that god wants to do something to some some measly mortal, then I just say it happens. You don't need to roll a dice. Tracy, have you had a chance to do anything with fate? Uh, I only played a couple games in it, but one of the ones I want to play is I had back the Kickstarter for, and I'm going to probably mess up the pronunciation, but Edrigor, it. E-H-D-R-I-G-O-H-R. It's uh, a setting using fate that concentrates on more Native American myths and legends. Mm-hmm. And that's the one I, I, I would really like to play, and I, I have the book and everything for it. And that's fate-based. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it's interesting that a lot of uh, systems are kind of... I mean, I... I you know, the reason I did Aeon Wave is because I, I think I started working on Aeon Wave before I had even run. Oh, I shouldn't say this. Before I had even run. <laughs> and, and it was because I read the system 
A, because it's an open system, which meant I could just do it. I didn't have to ask anybody's permission to start writing a system for it or to write write a thing for it. But also because I just I I looked at it and I was like, this is going to be great for cyberpunk. Like I can run a really great cyberpunk game with this and, you know, I can do a world and I can publish one and I can do a Kickstarter for one. (laughs) It just escalated. Mm -hmm. And and what's what's sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, I I agree. And like. Uh, it's actually something I'm thinking about doing for Reclaim Riverbend, cause I, which is a scenario-type thing that I want to write that can be used in D&D, but I hope for also in other uh, systems. And right. I think it would be great for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you could you could totally take the uh, Icewind Dale, the new, or what it was it called, the Legacy of the Crystal Shard or mm-hmm. uh, Murder of Baldur's Gate, and you could totally run those with Fate, you know, and it would it would be great. Like if, you know, you, there's no reason you couldn't take kind of system agnostic adventures or adventures where the mechanic, or even adventures where there are heavy mechanics. I've, I ran, um, uh, Pharaoh by, uh, uh, Tracy, Tracy and Laura Hickman, mm-hmm. uh, using a, um, modification of fate accelerated call that I, that I made called dungeons of fate, which is kind of a, you know, D and D style fate based game. Um, you know, it's it's using all fate rules, but it's got kind of a D and D flavor to it, and uh, it was fan. I loved it. I loved running it, and uh, the the players seemed to have a really good time. Cool. Yeah, so it's a great it's a great system, and the nice thing is, like anybody anybody that wants to look at it, you can you can go and look at the full product and read through it and kind of decide if it's for you because it's not. You know, I love it, and I'm I'm totally going to keep writing stuff for it, but it's not it's not perfect, and I I think the lingo kind of the, the lingo and the jargon that it's got can can you, you kind of got to get past it you got to figure out what you know okay what's an aspect and then how do you compel and what's a boost and you know what what you know invoking an aspect is one thing and compelling aspect is another thing and you know there's there's some there's a lot of different kind of pieces to it that you got to figure out that aren't as in my mind and maybe it's hard to say because i've been playing D so long but in my mind aren't quite as clear as just saying like you know here's how an attack works or here's how defense you know that like you you know you have four actions which are you know uh um uh overcome which is what you would consider like a normal skill check and anything else attack and defend which are your obvious ones only defend is an action right defend you actually roll um and then there's a new one called or one that isn't pretty typical called create an advantage where you're like setting up a situation but you roll for that like you're rolling for an action well it's never you know like i've been doing a lot with it and it's still not exactly clear to me what the target number is when you're creating an advantage if there isn't really an opposition you don't just give it to them mm. right you know? and it's it's tricky stuff like that where you're like you know i love it but that stuff is a little hard to figure yeah, sure. out yeah and if people are looking to try feet i think in addition to Aeon Waves, there's Dresden Files, which we mentioned, and also Spirit of the Century are the two yeah. that I, mm, I know right. about. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tracy, do you have any other games that you, since you're uh, talking? Do you have any other games you want to suggest? Well, the, <laughs> the one, I, the Native American one was one. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll come back to me. Okay. Uh, then I'll go. Uh, I mentioned this in our Noble Knight spot here. Uh, on my list is Fiasco. I played it one that one time at Gen Con, and I thought it was great. Fiasco is like the perfect sort of dip your toe into the story game well for a quick one-shot. 
Like it's great for. I mean, you can sit down, play Fiasco. You get it in, get get in a game in a few hours. Um, you know, and have have a blast, go crazy, and then and then you're done, right? Right. I feel like with my normal sort of six, seven hour long sessions, I can almost get in two games of Fiasco. Yeah, and and it's there's no DM and there's no prep. Right. Everybody gets to participate equally. Right. Uh, but yeah, so so fia- but Fiasco is a story based game, and I think Mike talked a little bit about it before. And there's all kinds of different play sets that you can that you can get, uh, many of which are free on Fiasco's website. Right. Uh, and so you can you know if you do you want to play uh, uh, you know an Ocean's Eleven style caper uh, scenario, then you can do that. Do you want to be you know gangsters in the you know the Al Capone days of the mob? Then then you can do that. You know, um, or do you want to do traditional fantasy? I mean, you, there's all these crazy different things that you can do. Uh, you know, there's war scenarios, there's historical scenarios, uh, but none of them are like married to their place in history or anything, right? They allow you to right. go completely crazy and and go insane and make absolutely wacky things happen. Yeah, well, and like one of the big things about the game is that the the thing called the tilt, where everything goes sideways, so mm-hmm. you're you're pretty much assured that. There's yeah. going to be shenanigans, which I think would make it a great way to inter- actually introduce your characters. I know Mike's written about using it for character creation, but just running Fiasco as your first session, mm-hmm. and then you could play another game afterwards with this. Yeah, character. you could actually use that as a precursor to whatever mm-hmm. you're normal. Mm-hmm. Right. We're going to build the story and kind of, you know, like imagine if your whole first session is just generating a giant adventure seed that's built from Fiasco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that actually would be pretty cool. Yeah, and and what and another thing I love about it is that uh, with the playsets, you, you roll this huge pool of dice, and then you use that to buy the parts of the playset that you want. Mm-hmm. So there, are, you mostly get what you want at least at the beginning, but there are limits and 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 stuff. So it's not like because I know a lot of people when they think about story games, they're like, "Oh, you're allowed to just do whatever you want," and that's not exactly true in this. Right. No, there's actual yeah. See, I'm, that's that's exactly right. Because when I went into it, I'm like, fiasco. It's a story game. Uh, it's just going to be a bunch of people sitting around telling stories together, right? Uh, and so I was actually glad for the structure provided by the game right. mechanics. That there's actual right. game mechanics there that gives you a structure that that at the same time supports and encourages the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. So, so if like you're a D and D player who likes the hard and fast rules, don't think that that it's a, it's a hippy dippy story game that doesn't have it's, any rules. It's, it's a little hippy dippy. It's a little bit hippy dippy, <laughs> but it has but some mechanics. To, to it, it has some crutches to to help you feel your way along. Right. Yeah. Um, like I, I was, I would totally not be normally comfortable in kind of this just crazy ad lib session. Right. And I played it once, and 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 I don't remember it being uncomfortable at all. Yep. It was. It was. It, it flowed pretty freely. And the tabletop video really does help explain it because it's not always a game you can necessarily get from the book. And there's right. a it, there's a companion book too that explains a little more. Um, but there's nothing like just seeing it played out, and then you can or being yeah being a member. Like I was lucky because I played with people, you know. Yeah. I, I played with people who had played it before. So yeah, some of the people that I played with had played it before, and some of them hadn't. But um. But yeah. I had a great group too because I had like Danny Rupp from Critical Hits. Oh yeah, and nice. uh, Jerry Lenev from um, from Obsidian Portal. Yeah, and the, oh, and, and the Hayes podcast. Like, was he wearing his football armor? Uh, <laughs> no, ooh, that might have been that year. I don't remember. Oh Is no, it? that's that's Mika. Mika, yeah. Mika. Has okay, the yeah. Arm. But the, but they were they were doing crazy costumes at one point. Mm-hmm. 
But no, and so, so yeah, I mean, it was a good group of people, and and that's part of the fun of of Fiasco too, right? Is that it's it's you hang out with great people, and, and hopefully everybody has great people in their group, and then it's just great people doing crazy, wacky, crazy, fun things. And I said crazy yeah. too much, so I'm going to be done done now. Well, and at its core, it's trying to replicate a Coen Brothers movie. If if you've ever watched any of them, so good. Who's next? I'll talk about Dungeon World. Talk about Dungeon Yay. World. Um, well, so Tracy, have you played Dungeon World? It's on my list, but I've heard so much good about it. Yeah, but you've played Apocalypse World, or you've played the Apocalypse Engine games using the Apocalypse Engine before? I haven't had a chance to play many games, but I've read the Apocalypse World book, and I've read most of the Dungeon World book. Yeah, yeah. So, and actually, I think that's where. Dungeon World really shines is it is it's like the best DMG I've ever read. You know, it's got some really really you know, kind of it's 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 what I refer to as an opinionated RPG, right? It is it's a it's an RPG that says, "Look, if you want to if you want to go do like, you know, typical D&D sort of games, you know, go over there and go with God. That's not what you're getting here." You know, what you're getting here is is, you know, a very particular type of RPG with a very particular feel and um and and i like it for that you know and i think that that's one of the wonderful things about our being an rpg fan in our time is that now we can pick rpgs based on the kind of game we want and the kind of game we want and our our players want Uh, you know 13th age is the same way 13th age has a very clear definition of how it defines you know this kind of gameplay and if you don't like it that's fine Go somewhere else. Go play something else. Go play something else, and there's lots of things yeah, to play. They're, they're not trying to make the generic role playing game, right? Right. So some, um, some some people are, and that's fine. Or at least they're trying to build something that's that's flexible yeah, enough you can play a lot of things yeah. with it. But and that's actually, I think there's a there's a danger with that too, though. One of the things that I'm worried about, and I'm I'm getting away from Dungeon World, but I think it's an interesting topic. Um, one of the things about current games is almost all of them are expecting that GMs are experienced. And that's probably a pretty safe bet, given you know that they have a relatively small run, and that they're the the the, the marketing and the the targeting that they're doing is towards people who already are into this hobby. Mm-hmm. So, like for Thirteenth Age, it's it's kind of hard to figure that somebody who's brand new to RPGs and doesn't have any friends that are into RPGs is going to pick up Thirteenth Age. It's possible that it could happen, and maybe it, it does. But the game is saying, like, look, we're 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 assuming you've already played D and D. And you want to try something new, and that's what this is. And you can. We're also assuming as a GM that you're going to be able to bring players in, and those could be new or or experienced, and and you'll help them along. Um, and that. So, so what I worry about is, are we cutting off the on ramp? You know, is there? Mm-hmm. There's all of this kind of energy going into all these different games, but like I like I said, you know, I'm, I consider myself a relatively experienced DM, and DMing Thirteenth Age and DMing Fate stretches me a lot, as does Dungeon World. Like these right. are hard. These are hard games to run, and they're certainly not an honor. You know, if if I've been, if I've been playing D anD D for twenty five years, that's it's hard to, you know, say to somebody new, you know, here, go with you know, do this. On the other hand, I've heard of people who really hadn't played a lot of D anD D and played Dungeon World and 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 it's set. So maybe maybe the preconceptions of how D anD D is supposed to play is actually getting in the way for me. Well, yeah, that's what see, I was wondering. And see, here's my concern. Mm-hmm. Is that you talk about how it's there, it's it's assuming experienced DMs and all that kind of stuff, which in my head is also oftentimes 
coincides with the idea that, well, then this is going to be a hard game for me to learn. Like, I don't have the time to, that I want to learn a whole new system, right? I'm, that's why I'm interested in a lot of, like, light systems right. for, for my interim time, right? In a few months or whatever, we're going to have a new edition of D&D, and I'm going to love digging into that, right? Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. But I'm, I can really only be an expert in a handful of systems at a time. Right. Know? Well, what's, what's interesting is where the difficulty is. All of these are light systems by, by my definition. 13th mm-hmm. age is to me the most mechanically heavy system. And it's maybe a quarter of the mechanics of fourth and a quarter of the mechanics of, of Pathfinder. Like they, and a lot of the mechanics are the same. Yeah, or, or yeah, or just <laughs> grossly simplified. Like there's no distance in 13th age. You don't have like move square by square. You move by big blocks. You know, yeah. you have like, right four relation you know four distance relations between you and and other people and it's just so abstract and it makes gameplay so fun and fast um so i I still consider a relatively even that one i consider a relatively rules light system fate is rules light all of these are games where you can have all of your character um uh, on a on a sheet of paper with fate accelerated you could put it on a three by five card if you wanted but running the game and running it effectively is actually pretty hard and and it's because it's it's demanding. Like I know that it's funny that in fourth edition I kind of miss having these hour long battles where I could take a break. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like it's like oh they're gonna they're gonna spend you know twenty minutes arguing about you know what set of spells to cast before they attack you know the big bad. So I'm gonna go and you know get a get an ice cream mm-hmm. and figure out what I'm gonna do. And in a lot of these games, like the the, the pace of turns happens so quickly. That you the you know the GM constantly has to be ready to move on to yeah. something new and interesting and and Dungeon like, World, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, can you describe that a little more detail? <laughs> yeah, so let me let me talk about like Dungeon World, right? So Dungeon World, um, you know, Dungeon World is meant to be kind of a, an old school feel, but with a completely different mindset towards how you run the game. Right. Um, and one of the things is that there's the, instead of having like the roll a d20 and add your modifier, they instead have this kind of variable, variable roll where you roll two d6 and you add a um, you add a single attribute to it. And the on a uh, you know if you roll six or below, it's considered a quote unquote failure, but it's a fail forward system. And, and you know we can talk a little bit more about failing forward and how that. It can be rough for a DM. Um, on a seven to nine, it's like a, it's like a success with a consequence, you know, or or there's some kind of, you know, success but with a with a twist. And then on an eleven plus, it's like a or on a ten plus, it's a big success. So that way you have a variable, you know, you have variable uh, uh, variable success factors rather than the you know you you got it or you didn't. But I think I'm pretty sure that even you know D and D DMs for years have had variable success and failures based on the roll. When someone rolls a one on a skill check, you have a different description for what happens than if they roll one point lower than they needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at least I always have. Um, but but this one has that wired in. Um, what's interesting about it is the DM. I don't know that a DM ever rolls except for damage in Dungeon World. So Dungeon World I've only played I've ran it two or three times and it's been a little while so I'm I'm a little rusty on it. Um but I think that DMs pretty much just roll damage and players roll all of the dice and and monsters and bad guys don't get turns in Dungeon World. Instead, the the monster acts when the player rolls poorly. So an example is if you have a big barbarian and the barbarian swings at the, the, the troglodyte, 
with a with an axe and rolls a two, the troglodyte does damage to the barbarian. Right. And and that makes turns really quick because there's no monster turn. Um, and it also one of the things I like about it from my from my geeky you know geeky fourth edition mechanicy sort of idea is that means monsters scale depending on the number of players, right? Because if I have a single troll and I have three people attacking it, that troll might hit all three of them if they all roll poorly or they all right. roll seven to nines or seven to tens, seven to nines. Um, so that's that's really interesting. Um, I, th- I I think it's the the game is 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 pretty polarizing because i ran this for my regular wednesday group and two of the people are like i'm i never want to play that game again hmm. and yeah. what's funny it's like everybody was laughing and everybody's having a good time and they're like yeah not for me it, it is really polarizing because uh i i uh follow sage and adam on g plus yeah. and they're always talking about the people who are like uh this game is ruining gaming <laughs> yeah i don't know why they would say that i mean i don't know jerks whatever yeah, yeah. Uh, the people. But yeah, say, it is not, really not polarizing. Sage. It's got this like group yeah. of people who are, who love it, and this other group that like just hates it. Hmm. Yeah, well, and, and my group, you know, my group was not like you know we need to go find those two people. In fact, I ran into I, th- I think it was uh, uh, Adam Kobel. I ran into him at Gen Con. I was at the the, the dungeon or the um, Dwarven Forge booth, and I turned and there he is. I'm like, oh my god, you know, <laughs> I got to tell you how this. And, and and what's really interesting is about the book. Yeah, so it's funny that it's so kind of polarizing. And I ran it for another group, and they were like, I can't wait to play it again. And, right. you know, and, and I ran it at a convention as a one-shot, and, oh, my God, it was great. You know, like, the really dynamic stuff, and the story was good, and, and, and like, you know, swinging from chandeliers and smashing tables, and, you know, you can actually have, like, a pretty good, because rounds move so quickly, and because mon- uh, uh, the DM doesn't really get a turn, um, you can actually separate the party out and not alienate people. Right. Um, which is pretty cool. You can have like, I mean, I think I had one where there's, you know, some craziness going on upstairs, some craziness going on outside in a different place and some craziness going on at a bar simultaneously and nobody was disengaged. Like everybody was interested in what was going on in the other places and it was quickly moving back to them. Um, and I really like that. Um, but yeah, it's 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 funny that you know, like it's got it is such an opinionated game, and I guess people could could really kind of take offense if they feel like yeah, this is such an opinionated game, and people like Mike Merles are talking about it all the time, which means right. it is affecting the entire RPG mm-hmm. industry, and I think it is, and I I I told that to, to Adam, I said you know, it's pretty great that a that a that a book, and this is on his website, you know, it's got a print run of, of last year of like five thousand copies, so it's not. Right. You know, it's not first edition D and D with millions of copies, but it's influencing. Um, you know, it's influencing all of the rest of the design of RPGs. What what was the, God, what was the name of a band? Uh, who was Dylan's? What was what was Dylan's band? Um, Velvet Underground. So you know, Velvet Underground. Like they that's, they said, that's not Dylan, is it? Isn't it? No, who? I don't think so. It doesn't matter. Move on. This isn't a music podcast. Uh, no. So what, what, what's funny about it is they said, like, you know, Velvet Underground at the time was not a big thing. But they said, like, they said something along the lines of, you know, there was only, you know, 2,800 copies of the album sold. But every person that listened to it ended up making a band. Also, you're thinking about Lou Reed. Lou Reed. That's what I'm thinking about. Yes, absolutely. I apologize. So, 
you know, and I, and I think Dungeon World is like that. Like maybe there's only five thousand copies in circulation, but everybody that's running it is making new games. Mm. <laughs> right? Like it's affecting the rest of the RPG industry. Sure. And I think it's having a direct effect on D and D Next. I have a feeling that we're going to see some things in D and D Next that we've seen in this, and I am seeing components of this in, in other in other games as well. And a lot of it is just like a hard philosophy about how DMs are supposed to run the game. Um, which, you know, I, some of them, I mean, I'm trying to, if, if I, I, it's not in the book. So, so if anybody would like to see it played, uh, I found a YouTube channel that has somebody doing actual plays right now called Roleplay, uh, R-O-L-L-P-L-A-Y. And they're doing, I haven't watched many episodes yet, but they seem funny and engaging and, uh, they, they're, they do well on camera. So here's here's just an example of kind of the opinionated thing. They have a GM, the equivalent of a GM guide, right? And this you can download this from uh, the, the Dungeon World website. And it has these things called principles. Draw maps, leave blanks, address the characters, not the players, embrace the fantastic, make a move that follows. It's a little jargony. Um, never speak the name of your move. Your move is essentially your reaction to what the players do. Uh, give every monster life. Name every person. Ask questions and use the answers. Be a fan of the characters. Think dangerous. Uh, begin and end with the fiction and think off screen. You know, and it's it's. I, I mean, like to me, the very the very first one is the one that I really like. Draw maps and leave blanks. And if you think about when we were talking earlier about Thirteenth Age and the adventure, the Bolt Strike Pillar adventure, there's tons and tons of blanks in there, and it's designed because you want to fill in the blanks at the table, not by doing 20 hours of preparation mm-hmm. right and that's a that's a pretty wild idea cool all right i'm gonna do lightning round on my last two because um, neither one of them and, and most of mine i guess aren't new or whatever um but I want to – I'd be curious to go back at this point and play a little bit of the Star Wars Saga edition mm-hmm. uh, and get that sort of you know 3E slash 4E transitioning feel. Um, I played it a few times, and I know I have a player who's interested in running it. So that's one that I want to play in, not run. Uh, and I'm always trying to convince my group to go back and do some uh, Gamma World, some 4th edition style Gamma World. So those are, the, those are lightning rounds, some of the, the other things that I'm looking to do. Any other uh, last lightning round sort of thoughts people want to share? Uh, you brought up Gamma World. I'll bring up Numenera a little bit. I've only, it up. I've only played it once. This is Monty Cook's new RPG. He kickstarted it last year. He did a really fantastic kickstart. I think he got close to $500,000 for it. And um, it is a super far future science fantasy game where it's still on Earth, but Earth is completely in, unrecognizable. It's set a billion years in the future, which is actually one of my complaints. A billion years is so far. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, I can't get my head around it. Um, and uh, it is both a game system uh, called the Cypher System, I think he calls it, and um, a- as well as the game world. And I actually, I like the game world more than I like the, the system itself. Um, I think, and this might just be kind of Monty's style, the system, it, it feels like it has a, an, an antagonistic relationship between the GM and the players. And it has terms for things like the, the they call it the, the GM intrusion is the name of one of the moves, you know, one of the techniques where the GM can kind of make life hard on a character at any moment for any reason and, and, and awards experience points to do so. And the player doesn't have to necessarily accept it 
but has to pay experience points to not have that happen. And it just feels, it's actually not any different than a compel and fate, mm-hmm. but right. a compel and fate feels fun. And this feels like you're being a jerk. Um, and does the XP still uh, help you level? Yeah. So XP helps you level, uh, right. but it also can help you with temporary stuff. Like you can, you can use an experience point to reroll. Um, and you can, you can actually do kind of sub leveling where you can level up one component of your character with experience points. Hmm. Right. So it's, it feels like it's even a bigger, uh, payment that you're making to get out of something when you use XP. Essentially you, you know, you wouldn't, right? Like, right. Generally speaking, I would assume a GM is good enough. And all of these games kind of assume, because one of the things that's interesting about all these games we've been talking about, they all put a lot more empowerment on the GM to run a good game than I think Pathfinder and 4E do, where everything is really codified. Mm. Um, and one of, one of the things I think they assume with Numenera is that like the GM shouldn't be being too much of a jerk. Yeah, it should be a complication, right? It should be something that's in that that made life harder for them. And you know, if they really don't want it to have happen, but if it's some, you know, generally speaking, I can't imagine when a player would pay the pay the fee. Um, but you can, but and that's the problem. It feels like a fee. It doesn't feel like, oh, I can spend a fate point to not have that happen. It's no, I've got to lose this thing that I had, this thing that was going to make my guy better or my gal better. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other thing is that uh, the way you kind of power up moves is by actually using the resources that are the same resources that are used up when you take damage. And there's different kinds of damage. There's like, you know, I guess the equivalent of like dexterity damage. I think I can't remember what it is. It's like might, will, and something else. Intellect or something. I don't know. But um, essentially, it's mental, you know, dexterous and 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 body, I think. Um, but you use, uh, you're essentially burning hit points to do moves. So imagine if you want a power attack and do extra damage on your attack, but you have to lose 10% of your hit points in order to do that. That's kind of the way Numenera works, and for for players that are risk adverse, uh, that's paralyzing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my biggest issue, uh, and, and it's worth noting, I've only had, I've only heard of and and read about Numenera. I've not actually picked up the product. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that that made me not interested in picking up the product is has nothing to do with the mechanics and and has everything to do with the the setting. Hmm. You know, as a world, it's not a genre that I'm interested in running. But Gamma World is? Well, because Gamma World I'm interested in running as like a one-shot. You know, yeah. but Numenera feels like, I mean, if I'm if I pick up a 400-page book, <laughs> I'm running a campaign, you know? I guess. I mean, I, I still see Numenera as a game that I would run as a one. I ran it as a one shot, and I could see running a mini campaign in it, but I don't think I'd run it as a full campaign. Yeah. Um, but what's what's funny is you know I and I uh, Bruce Cordell, who was one of the developers of Gamma World, now yeah. works for Monty Cook on both on Numenera and as on their new their new Strange. RPG called The Strange. Yeah, and um, which is funny I, because it you know. Bruce Cordell's the one that sort of he gave us the Far Realm and all that sort of yeah. Cthulhu well, stuff and, I, in D and D. Yeah. Now the only problem is like I, this based on the same system. It's based on Cipher, and then there's parts of Cipher I don't like. So right. You know. Now the cool thing is like I feel like of the yeah I forget what it is. It's like a giant book. Um, I and and to me so little of it is based on character ideas that I could I could look at it and say you know what this would make a great Fate Accelerated game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like and it really does because it has kind of the con the character concepts. You know you can make aspects you could do everything very easily at fate accelerated and run the whole world in numenera 
Mm. And my only problem with it is when you go up, when you talk a billion years in the future, there's nothing recognizable, which means you can't say like, there's a ruin of a gas station. It's like, no, everything in that gas station is dust. You know, everything has been broken down. So a billion years is a bit far. But what's funny is that when I talked to Bruce Cordell, he said, you know, he said, yeah, you know, one of the reasons why he was excited about Numenera, and, and he hadn't mentioned The Strange at the time when they weren't talking about it. But he said, one of the reasons I like Numenera, you know, being that I worked on Gamma World is this to me feels like the serious version of Gamma World. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I can I can totally get behind that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I loved Gamma World until you get to, you know, rat swarm, you know, Yeti rat swarms. Oh, but see, that's that's what the fun of of Gamma World is that I yeah. don't I don't take it seriously. That's yeah, my that's problem. Why it's great I for a, a serious. I like I like yeah. the I like the setting, and I want to do a serious story. And then you have Yeti rat swarms. You're like, oh, okay, I guess. Right. That's <laughs> that's why Gamma World works is because it's it's a one or two shot goofy game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Good. Any other last thoughts or or things that you guys want to check out? Because we're at about an hour. I need. I just need more time to play these things. Yeah. I play a ton of RPGs and I still don't feel like I have I have enough to play all of them. I really want to run a long Numenera game and I just don't know where I'll ever fit it in. Yeah. I hear you. Well, then in that case, uh, we're going to say thanks to everybody. Thanks to you guys, the listeners, for listening and downloading and maybe going off and doing some shopping through our Amazon and D&D Classics links. Uh, and also thank you to Noble Knight for sponsoring us and, and, and returning as our, our, our championship sponsor. Uh, make sure you guys head over to Noble Knight and, and support them and let them know that you, you heard about them through us. Uh, thank you to Mike Shea. Uh, who's joined us in this episode. In fact, we've unofficially declared January of 2014 Mike Shea Month. Yay! So we're going to bring Mike back as Mike often Shea as possible month. this month. I love Mike Shea Month. We'll be talking to you again next thank, week. Thank you. No, it's always, you know, I love this show, and I, I, it's always it's always a great, a great honor to come on the show and talk. I appreciate it. And since I'm thanking people, let's go ahead and thank all the all the regular uh, cast and crew that work on the on the show. Tracy, thank you. And Sam, thank you. Thank, thank, thank you. you. I mean, Sam's not here, but he'll be editing this and hear it, and, and he hear our appreciation that then. Thank you, um, Sam. If it wasn't for Sam, uh, we would not be able to produce the, the hey, shows. Can, that we can you help me with that Lou Reed section? That didn't come out so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, there's our thanks. Great. Uh, and if you'd like to contact us, maybe we missed uh, your favorite game, or you want to give. Yeah, you want suggestions, uh, give an idea for a future episode, you can contact us at thetomeshow at gmail.com or on our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And that has been episode 229, where we explored the wild world of gaming on this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm off the wall.